Fun with Failure is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hi, welcome to Fun with Failure, where we laugh with and at you about your flaws, fears, and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Carrero. Let's have some fun. Our guest today is Chris Elmore. In the year 2000, Chris started Avid Exchange, a leading fintech provider of accounts payable and payment automation. Avid Exchange is one of the fastest growing fintech companies in the US, has more than 1,000 employees, and is valued at over a billion dollars. That's a B, not an M. Chris has written eight books, countless articles, and is a professor of entrepreneurship and innovation at UNC Charlotte and Queen's University of Charlotte. He's also a very funny son of a gun, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Son of a gun. Son of a gun. <laughs> so, Chris, according to... Can um, I say something? Oh, absolutely. I'm can. thrilled to be on the show. Oh, thanks. This is my favorite topic. Did you, are you going to tell the studio audience... I'm kidding. How, what? <laughs> are you going to tell the <laughs> podcast audience that... Uh, see, I messed up out of the gate. That Fun I, with failure, that, man. That I asked to be on this podcast... Yeah, I yes. love that. Yes. So we we met. It was like the first time we met, and I was telling you that I was doing this podcast, yep. and said, fun with failure. And it's I, was about, t- I was totally sold. Yeah. You're the first person, I think, that I was going to ask who asked me first. Do you have to Do you have to sell people on it? Uh, so, I mean, some people, yeah, because some, I mean, failure and flaws and fears, that's like deep, dark stuff oh that gosh. people don't want to talk about, right? Exactly. Because it makes them vulnerable, and they feel scared and there's sometimes there's also a lot at stake yeah right? yeah so but you were like oh my god i yeah. love failure Can well I, come on your show? i've had to work on that because i wish i wish that um i didn't have a need to talk about my failures in public i wish that we could just pretend with all of the accolades you know mm, yeah we're we're growing like crazy and it would be easy for for me to say no everything was great but for some reason people are drawn towards it so that's why I'm I'm really excited about this opportunity good well I'm thrilled that you're here and one of the reasons that I wanted to start the podcast is sort of as the an antidote to the Instagram filter right that perfect yeah. filter that we just put on all of our lives on social media yeah. and we're all crushing it and we're happy and our personal lives are amazing and it's just, you know, not true. With every success story, there's a ton of failure that comes with it. Yeah. So why don't we just talk about all of it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. I don't even know where to start. Well, I have a place that I want to start. I was born at a very young age. <laughs> you were? <laughs> yeah. Like most of us. Yeah. It's amazing. See, we already have so much in common. <laughs> so great. So according to your author bio, it states, if failure is a great teacher, Chris Elmore must be the wisest person on the planet. That's right. Do you really mean that? I, I, I believe that I do because um, if you look at every one success that I've ever had, and let's take, you know, I'm a big, um, I'm a big sales guy. I love, to, I love the selling process. I love what we've done at Avid Exchange in selling. And I, I, love, I, like, I like the fact that I've done 5,000 cold calls. I've done 6,000 pitches. And those two numbers have changed my life. But in all of that, you know, out of 5,000 cold calls, maybe – Maybe 500 of them were positive. Mm. So most everything that I do, every success that I have uh, that I can kind of credit, there's at least 10 to 20 failures around it. And we'll get into it, but I don't really see them as failures. I see them as kind of negative feedback. Um, and But every success has got like mounds and mounds of failures around it. What's your definition of failure? It's simple. If I do something stupid, boneheaded, ignorant, um, asinine, twice. Twice? Yes. So okay, if, why twice? Because the first, the first one I feel like it sent me to school. And, and if I can learn from that and not do it again, this, there's, there's nothing about that that that's a failure. I know we have in common that we both teach at yeah. the university. Yeah. and. I love it when my students, and by the way, my students don't like to fail at anything. Oh, no. Our, our <laughs> students do not like, no. And, you it know, makes even, them so uncomfortable. Even on a, a test by test or grade by grade, exam by exam, you know, the whole process of, 
of failing in the classroom is such a scarlet letter that yeah, it's scary. Yeah, and and I hate that for them because I know what they're about ready to enter into is just going to be completely flipped. And right. yeah, and to there, I wish we could figure out some way in the classroom where where failure was a good thing. I love to use failure as a barometer because. If I, if I go weeks in my life and sometimes months in my life, I'll go stretches where I'm not hitting any quote-unquote failures. You know, I'm not getting turned back or I'm not, you know, and everything is working out. And, and to me, that means that I'm just not working hard enough. Yeah. And or I'm not pushing myself hard enough. So it's, it's only when I got kind of that, you know, 80-20 where 80% of it's failure, 20% of it's success is that I know that I'm pushing myself harder. Hard enough. So I use failure kind of as a benchmark. I think that's great. I was doing, I'm doing a pub series of public speaking workshops on the topic of fun with failure. Yeah. And there are, you know, a number of, numerous books that you can read about failure, but the one that I was looking at had four stages of failure, where the first one is the ability to fail, mm. right? Check, right? We all have, <laughs> we all have that. Yeah. The second, the second stage is willingness to fail. Mm. The third stage is trying to fail. And then the fourth stage is getting really excited to fail yeah. where you look forward to it. So it sounds kind of like you're in stage at a four. stage four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, that's but you great. know, stage one though, there's a, there's a thing in our, our culture that there, there is a certain group that, that has never experienced failure and that's because they've never tried anything. And you know, you can't, what group? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I couldn't put a label on it, but you know, there's a group that tries us. I remember, gosh, a stupid story, but here we go. Here we go, here ladies we go. and gentlemen. Hang here on. We, here we <laughs> Turn go. Turn off the radio. <laughs> when when Adela and I, my wife, by the way, if my wife ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> I don't know. Your wife's kind of cool. If she leaves you, I'm going with her, too. Yeah, you should. Everyone should go with her. She's something else. But um, sh- um, when we first moved to Charlotte, there was a young woman that worked with my wife. And she, we were on the topic for some reason, and she said, I promised myself to never put myself, good sentence, I promised that I'd never put myself in a situation where I was ever uncomfortable. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was kind of her mantra. That was her. And so every time anything was at all potential of stress-related failure, you know, she moved completely away from that. Yeah. And I and that by the way, that story is 25 years old and it still bothers me. Mm. Cuz I know what that's going to do for a life. Right. Well, and I'm sure that there are people still listening that feel the same the same way, right? It's the story is 25 years old, but the the feeling is still very current. Yeah. I well, if there's anyone out there that thinks that they should do whatever they can to mitigate and eliminate failure, I'm I hope I can encourage you that you might be looking at it wrong. Right. Yeah. One of the reasons I started the podcast, and I think I say this to every guest because it comes up, is I I was probably at the level one, level two stage, right? Just total perfectionist. I refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist now because I'm trying to get over it because it's not helpful whatsoever. Um, Yeah. So one of the reasons I started this was like, oh, what is failure? And I was so afraid to fail and just put so much pressure on myself that I wouldn't even do things until I knew I was going to get it right. And now it's kind of like, oh, this podcast could be a huge failure and I'm doing it in real time and I'm taking people along and I'm letting people watch and come along for the ride because it's like, uh, oh, I see now that that fixed mindset isn't really helpful and that the growth mindset and being willing to fail is so much more helpful and it's so much more um it's just about real life yeah that idea of not doing anything that makes you uncomfortable uh, there's a book i read recently and the line in it was you know that's great but you have dead people goals yeah (laughs) dead people goals yeah because the only people that are always quote-unquote comfortable yeah would be dead because there's no such thing right you're just laying in a box somewhere thought about that yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah to be human is to suffer and to strive and to try and to fail it's part of the human process and for some reason in our culture we're not really supposed to talk about or admit it yeah and in i mean now looking back and you know being in a different phase in life and and on may the 12th i'm going to be 50 Oh, happy the, birthday. Yeah, and hopefully people will 
uh, contact me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I desperately the Chris need. Elmore That's on Twitter at the all Chris social Elmore. media. All social media is at the Chris Elmore. There's a backstory to that. All right, but. Um, uh, is there another Chris Elmore you want me to beat up? Yeah. There's All a guy right. in England. He has a Wikipedia page. And a friend of mine was trying to get me oh, a Wikipedia son of page. A gun. And he's a politician. So, oh. yeah. So I'm going to get it. And I. When I found out that, I just changed all of my social media to The Chris Elmore. Nice. Well, that's why I named my business The Pitch Prof. There was someone else overseas. They stand people overseas. I know. That's the problem. taking our jobs. That's taking our jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was Pitch Prof. And I was like, son of a gun. I'm like, all right. I'll see you. I'm going to be The Pitch Prof. There you go. You should have done Triple A Pitch. (laughs) No. Come first in the phone book. Exactly. What is that? (laughs) A-A-A. The pitch prof. <laughs> you also mentioned, and you've said it because I've seen you speak several times now. You've mentioned that you were a bad student. I was a terror. I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. Yeah, and it, it's funny because the, the first couple times I heard it, I thought you were kidding because no. I thought, oh, there's no way that this guy would be this successful. No. So no. what was it? What did failure mean to you at the time that you may have been failing in school? Well, so here's something about you know the thing about when you get to. Um, the 12th grade. Now, I, ne- I never failed a grade. Um, I, I remember in the second grade, they wanted to hold me back, and my parents talked them into letting me go forward. But um, when you graduate from high school and you have trouble in school, which I did, horrible troubles, and I, I'll get into much detail as you want, but when, you, when that happens, you actually, the, the quote-unquote system because of the way it's set up, grades, whatever, yeah. GPA, rank, whatever. Mem- wrote memorization. It, it, they, they have basically said, um, you're a failure. And, and that's, that's, I kind of I knew that when I was 18 years old. And so um, school was really difficult. I remember... Um, Why did you, you say, I kind of knew that. Why did you think you were a failure? Because they told me. Oh. Without telling me. Got it. And every parent-teacher conference I ever had sounded exactly the same. And I'll play, I'll replay it for you. Chris, he's funny. Everyone loves him. He he's got lots of friends, but he just won't focus. You know, he just won't do the work. He won't. He won't. I remember my dad's. My dad was always saying, "You got to bear down, son. Just bear down." <laughs> I don't know what the heck bear, bear down means? You know? Okay. Um, well, and there's a difference also. So I listen to, um, I'm a big fan of Dak Shepard and his podcast, The Armchair Expert. <laughs> he talks a lot about the difference between and using language, right? Because there's a way to say that Chris is failing or Chris has failed on something, but not Chris is a failure. Well, and that's, that's, that's that point. language is so important, especially not to put on a kid because then they internalize yeah. and think, oh, I didn't just fail. I am now a failure. So when you get to that senior year and you graduate, you're a failure. But you're exactly right. I, ha- I used to have a mentor say that failure is an event, not a person. Yeah. And that always stuck with me. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. But there was so, um, but so the rest of the story is, is um, my dad. So I went to Myrtle Beach and started a heavy metal band. You ever been to Myrtle Beach? <laughs> I have. Do yes. you know down on the strip that there's Ripley's Believe It or Not? I don't know it well enough. And I haven't th- been in a while. There's a big globe out in front of Ripley, Ripley's Believe It or Not, a big globe of the world is kind of one of their things that draws people in, supposedly. Well, in the middle of that globe, it was an apartment, and that's where I lived. No way. I was 18. Yeah, it was 1987. In the middle of, middle the, of the globe. Ripley's Believe It or Not? Globe, yeah. We built uh, bunks and a little shower, and that's where I lived. That sounds like a Believe It or Not. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's what happened was my, my heavy metal band wasn't working out at all. It was a disaster. So the band disbanded. They left, and I played, I played bass. That was the question. And then... Yep. My dad sent me a um, catalog to a community college, and at that point, I just wasn't having any of it because I school was such a burden, of such a struggle, and I wasn't really good at it. And you know, even though I wasn't doing anything with my life, but I I, um, I sent in the money. I remember getting together change for a money order, and then I got a letter back about three months ago that said that uh, we'll accept you into our freshman class, nineteen eighty eight. That was a huge deal for me because I'd never been accepted into anything educational-wise. But this is a story I want to tell you because this is what tipped 
this is what tipped everyone off to the fact that something was wrong here. And this was in Gaston County, right? It was, and yeah. it's Gaston College. Now, I'm a huge fan of Gaston College, because if it hadn't been for Gaston, I'm a huge fan of the community college system in North Carolina. Yep. If it hadn't been for Gaston College, you know, the rest of the story is the first time I ever met Mike Prager, the CEO of Avid Exchange, uh, one of the first things he asked me is, I have a college degree, and I said, yes. Nice. And it yep. what, I if I'd have said no to that, which was very possible, he and I wouldn't have had another conversation. Yep. And this whole thing would have been missed. But when I got, so my grades were horrible. My, my transcripts were bad. I t and then they gave me like a battery attack. No, I remember this. This is a long time ago. They said, don't even worry about taking the entry test. We're going to have to put you in all of the remedial stuff. They said, don't, don't even try it. Just, just, we'll just put you in. And one of the classes they put me in was the reading class. And so on Monday, they made us do a test. I know this is a long story. No, bring but it here's on. The, and on Wednesday, they gave us the results of the test. And there was about 25 people in this class. And the teacher was calling up each person to talk one-on-one -on -one with them about their grade, and then they would leave, about their grade level, where they were. And about halfway through it, I realized that she was calling everyone up by their grade, their reading grade level, like from low to high, or from high, high to, to low. low. Yeah. Okay. And so there was twenty five, there was fifteen, there was ten, and then I remember to this day, even though it's thirty years ago, I remember the look on the young woman's face across the classroom when she too realized that they were calling <laughs> up by grade. And then the teacher called her name, and that look of relief. That she wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't at least the last it wasn't one. me. Yeah. That wasn't last. So I, I wish I knew that. Uh, I remember a lot of my teachers, and I wish I remembered that teacher's name because she, she was really. Um, she was really upset about the news that she was about ready to drop on me. And she said that I was reading on a fourth grade level. Really? Yeah. Yeah. See, I, this is this to me is such a great story. I mean, again, having studied storytelling, so for my master's and PhD and understanding story elements, like this is like the hero's journey, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, you went from that to this, yeah. which I think is so fantastic. And I too am a huge fan of the community college model. Cool. I think it's great. Um, I'm also. I saw your speech at the grand opening of TechWorks. Oh, in you Gaston did? County. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. So TechWorks is over in Gaston County now. Terry Cox just launched. She's the yeah. executive director. They just launched it over there to help. Really, you know, a rising tide lift all, lifts all boats, and they're trying to get some good stuff, and it's a tech hub. It's an opportunity factory. That That's the thing that I wanted them to know, because yeah. what's going to happen, because it's a private-public partnership, they're going to get pulled into what I call spreadsheet land. And they're going to start looking at line items on spreadsheets, and they're going to be in. And people have got to realize that that there are human beings attached yeah. to those mm -hmm. spreadsheet decisions. And uh, I didn't. I don't want them to ever forget that it's going to be what what my letter to Gaston College was. It's going to they're they're going to have hundreds, if not thousands, of those little opportunities like I had. Yeah, and um, that's why I felt like it was an opportunity factory. I just said it, and I think they're doing T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, I'm working <laughs> with Terry on that. Actually, you, that's fantastic. And I got to tell you that, but to for someone to tell you that you're entering in college and you're reading on a fourth grade level, um, that kind of fired me up a little bit. It kind of, you know, oh, what that motivated you. Yeah. Oh, good. Because that's that so great. That seems to be the difference between me and normal people <laughs> I don't know but having having gone through all of that 12 years of misery that I did in public school it created a tremendous amount of grit and mm. and for some reason there was grit and stubbornness and all those things came together and when I left that I was like well, looks like I'm going to be the first one to graduate from college on a fourth grade reading level. You know, they can kiss my and beep. I, yeah, beep, get the beep button ready. <laughs> but that was um, that was a real defining moment. And the funny thing was, I, I um, the teacher said at the end of the the quarter, you know, we weren't on semester. At the end of the quarter, you should expect your grade level to go up about two. She said she's never seen it go over two. So I was like, great, sixth grade. Um, 
But at the end of that, I was at an 11th grade reading level. And the funny thing was, I got so cocky, I was like, well, I'm signing up for reading number two. And they kicked me out of that class, and I never did another reading class again. (laughs) (laughs) But that, for some reason, that was the year the American Disability Act was enacted, and that that grade-level reading put me on some kind of a radar. And uh, some people started looking at me, and then we went through the whole battery, and the the conclusion was dyslexia, full-blown, the works. Got it. Okay. Okay, we could, I hate, I I believe that there's no such thing as a disability. Mm -hmm. I think there's skills that are just put in the wrong place. And uh, I got to tell you, if you are dyslexic, you better thank your lucky stars because you're about ready to have the most incredible entrepreneurial journey of your entire life if you embrace it. Because the the quote-unquote, it's only a disability when I'm sitting in a classroom listening to a teacher. Otherwise... It's got all these crazy connections to really great entrepreneurial success. Hmm. So if you look at a lot of entrepreneurs, um, Damon from Shark Tank, he's full-blown dyslexic. My favorite is um, um, Virgin Airlines. What, Branson. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's a good friend of mine. Is he? Yeah, oh, I've never met him, but I'm sure we get along. <laughs> I used Son to of say, a gun. I, used I to fell say for that it, about, y'all. I fell for it. <laughs> I used to say that about Steve Jobs, but... Can't anymore. No, no. Yeah. But um, well, if you ever meet Branson, let me know how the island is. That's yeah. all I want to know about. You know, um, not that I will it into existence. I'll meet him one day. I know we'll have a conversation. Just simply because um, our experiences just seem to be so identical. So I, I'm looking forward to that time. So are you? Because w- one of the things that you just said, you know, will it into existence? Are you one of those people that sort of put something out into the universe and then? Waits and sees if sees if it happens or Not makes really. it happen. No, oh, okay. um, I, I mean I say that because um, it just seems like the right thing to say. But what I do is I write it down and I'll put a date on it and then I'll track it. So I'm an obsessive goal setter. Yeah, I have been smart for goals a long time. But I'm not just a goal setter. I'm I'm a I'm a goal achiever. So and then one one of the things I I like to tell people that that physically set goals where they write them down. And, and the thing that I like to do about it is I like to, uh, so I can actually see myself meeting him. And I see, I see you visualize everything. it. I see everything about yeah. it. I see the handshake. I see what he's wearing. I see where we are. And uh, for some reason, it's San Francisco. We should, I'm glad this right. is recorded. Yeah. And he's got a black coat on. So all of that, all of that, um, is, is something I've been doing for a long time. And the thing I like to tell people about goal achieving, I don't like goal setting, you know, set it all you want. <laughs> I say achieve right. it. But the thing about achieve, goal achievement is that when you really pursue a goal, you'll realize it's set too low. And now that's why, that's why I helped build a billion dollar company is because every time we set a benchmark, we would just up it and then we'd up it. And then it got weird. We were like, we're going to double our revenue. People say, you can't double your revenue at your size. And they said, we said, not only are we going to double it, but next year we're going to double the double. And they said, there's no way you can do that. And we did. So tell me a little bit, because you went from this, you know, this test that you took and a fourth grade reading level and yeah. community college. And how do you go from that to writing eight books? How I go from being a horrible reader to an author is simple, that I had a lot of experiences that, I felt like people would be interested in. And so I think there's a difference between an author and a writer. You know, I'm not a writer, for sure. If you read my books, it, 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 it reads like I talk. And um, I've gotten feedback on that. But I got, I st- and I still have a lot to say. I got two more that are coming out. So the ninth one should be out hopefully within the month. All right. What's uh, the title? It's, it's called Selling 101, Don't Do Stupid Things. <laughs> And uh, it's it's from a skill pop class that I've been teaching for I the last. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, what I do is I teach the class and I kind of get my material down, and then when I get into a good routine, uh, I'll write a book about it and try to get that out. So that'll be coming out, and it's it's an ebook. It's like fifty pages. Yeah. Um, but then I have uh, an entrepreneurship book that's that's based on the work that we do in the classroom at Queens and um, taking a company from. Zero revenue to, well, I can't tell you our revenue. They get weird <laughs> about that. But our value is $1.4 billion. Yeah. So I call that bootstraps to billion. So that, that story combined with what we're talking about in the classroom. 
So I have a lot to say is the answer. Yeah. What would you have said, like what would 10-year-old Chris think <laughs> about you now and what you've been able to do? That's a great question. And uh, t- I remember 10-year-old Chris really well. Uh, he was a huge Redskin fan. And during the football season, he felt like he was helping the Redskins win by wearing every <laughs> article of clothing had Redskins on it, even underpants. <laughs> you had rens- Redskin underpants? I did. The second the underoos came out, man, oh, I bought them. Underoos. I looked it up in the freaking Sears catalog, the Wish Book. I had that thing numbered. And... Um, I mean, the downside was I didn't wash the underwear very much. And oh, I got busted by fail. my mom. That's a really huge, big fail. <laughs> I got busted by my mom. And my mom was so disgusted, he, she told my siblings, and they've never let me forget it. As, as they shouldn't. But um, funny thing about that story is that um, years later, my mother-in-law, who works at the Hickory Furniture Mart, was helping Joe Theismann and his wife pick furniture for their house in Tennessee. And he said, "My he was the quarter. He was the first quarterback of the Redskins Super Bowl." And uh, he said, "My son." She said, "My son-in-law is a huge fan, and talked about all of my clothes." And I had his jersey back then. And uh, he said, um, "Well, he 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 signed a football for me, which was great." And then he sent me tickets because he was an announcer for ESPN at the time to see the Panthers. And then he said, before the game, if he wants to have some lunch, I'm open to it. So cool. So, oh, yeah. Me and Joe, we had... How old were you? I was... That was... This was like 2006. All right. So it's it's been... That's like a childhood dream. Yeah. Coming and, true. And we're going to go... It's going to pivot into failure in just a minute. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Hold on. Because what... Um, so he and I spent an hour and a half together, and he was so cool about it, but you could tell that he really liked And, you know, in me, so 10-year-old Chris to 30-some-year-old Chris, me, I went, I was going, remember when you did this, Joe? And remember when you did that? I was so cool. What do you do? And then we got through all of that. And there was kind of a lull, and I knew that he had a um, – I knew he had a son that was exactly my age because when I was a kid, I was thinking – Oh man, Joe Theismann's son, he's got it made. You know, my dad's a psychologist. So little different. Yeah. And I said, I know you have a, a son that's my age, or you have grandkids. And then he went for the next 15 minutes explaining to me about how horrible they are and how ruined they are. And I realized that every relationship in his life is fractured. And that broke my heart. You know, because why like why were they fractured? He he had gone all in on football. Mm. That's all he knew. That's yeah. all he had. And he was great at it. And um, he hadn't left any more room in his life for anything else other than football from the moment that he was in, you know, middle school. And um, that really – and then one of the things – I I never had boyhood heroes outside of my dad. He was He was it for me. So I was lucky. Joe probably got as close as possible to a boyhood hero, and that really solidified the idea that I was I was focused on the right things. And it really started, I don't know if you saw my creative morning talk. Hopefully people will look that up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I really started working towards, well, what does it mean to be successful? And I came up with what I thought was a genius idea, and then Harvard had a 75-year study on the same idea, so they totally stole it from me. <laughs> Uh, Harvard, they do that all the time. I know. They totally stole it and did all this science. <laughs> and I I just came up with it. <laughs> yeah, all the data. But So what um, was yeah, what was the theory? My theory was that um my success was attached to the quality of relationships I had with people. Yeah. Now you've already noticed that the quality of relationship I have with my wife is good and with my family is good yeah. and but then I started realizing as I spin that circle out and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger uh, it became, uh, I have another thing, I'll drop it on our audience here, is that if you can identify the pattern, you can make it a strategy. And if you can make it a strategy, it no longer affects you. That's kind of the loop. And so I saw the pattern was that when I, when I strengthened my relationships with even just random people, that it had huge um, benefits towards me being successful. So that's something I've taken on for the last four or five years that's, that's really changed my life. So 
explain that to me a little bit because I find that really fascinating. It, I mean, all the research does support that the stronger your social connections are, the healthier you are, the better you age, yeah. the better your health is over time. But what does it mean to st- uh, strengthen a relationship with a stranger? Is well, that well, you're a good example of that. I mean, at one, it wasn't yeah. so long ago you and I were strangers. Yeah, and I don't, absolutely. Where did we meet? What was that first time? I we can't met Shane, our student, who oh, introduced yeah. us yeah. at the International Women's Day Festival. Yes. And you talked about your daughter yes. being in middle school. Yes. And I was there, and Shane introduced us. And because we both are interested in blockchain. Yeah. And then one thing led to another, and that's when you asked if you could be on the podcast. I did. And then we ran into each other like every week since yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so you're, you're a good example is that you're, you're starting an entrepreneurial idea, venture. I don't know how much you want to talk about that. Sure, yeah. A, is it a secret? Oh, the blockchain company? Yeah. No, it's not a secret. So uh, we'll we'll we will have time where we'll get together and talk about that one on one. And I've got some things that I want to tell you about how you present that to the public for them to consume it. You know, we'll call that sales. Um, but that's a um, that's a that's an action that a lot of corporate people tell me not to do. Well, why should I spend time with you? You know, you're just starting up and everything like that. But I get all the time people saying, I can't believe you took time out, took an hour out just to talk to me because of, you know, all of the quote-unquote successes that we have at Avid. And there's there's a lot of executives not at Avid, but maybe at Avid and other places where they wouldn't give somebody the time of day Mm -hmm. because they're too busy or they're too important. But I have found incredible just friendships, network relationships and I've given people the secrets that I thought would help them to be successful without any desire for any return at all and that's that is crazy changed my life well I think also and I we're probably similar in this way and that's why we love teaching yeah right we have all this experience and all this life built up in us and we want to give back yeah right and and that those relationships that you build with people that are just kind of coming up you know if I can help shape or steer or point a student or anyone that I'm coaching or mentoring or advising in the right direction or in a direction that might provide focus or shine light on something that they hadn't thought about it's so rewarding it is so it's not just one way right it's not just you giving 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 until you go home and have nothing left to give but it's part of what i'm sure fills your soul well it's the most fulfilling thing i've ever done it's not i don't think it's the most profitable i don't know about the most rewarding but it certainly is the most fulfilling thing that i've done yeah it's killing me (laughs) 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 i'm probably gonna have some tough life decisions uh, about the future of teaching but yeah, well, yeah. I think I told you I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this is I. You know, I, I've done it for. Is this a, your last semester? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In fact, I've been on a um, a leave of absence for all like the entire year hmm. and starting this thing up and, yeah. I mean, I I love it. You know, I've been at Queens for eight years and before that I was doing some work at UT Austin, hmm. which was great. Also. Austin's awesome. Oh, yeah. I told you I lived there for ten years. I they, when I Austin. go there, they think I'm local. Yeah, I was gonna say you do not look like a. You're from Charlotte or Gaston County. B. That you launched an accounts payable. I know. You I do know. not look like an accounts payable. Now I could. I'm stereotyping, and for this, all the accountants out there, when I'm you, so sorry. But if you were to meet Mike Prager, our CEO, and my, he's he and I have been partners for 26 years now because we had another company before that called careershop.com you would say well he looks like one <laughs> yeah there's he's a whole the, story behind this he's the too. chief fundraiser so they, they don't i don't necessarily get to do the fundraising right you just get yeah. to tell the stories yeah 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 so i have a i have a question for you are there any products or services that you use to help you feel like less of a failure um yeah this is going to be, and I've, I've tried, I've gone round and round on this for years and I've tried to digitize it, try to find an app and try to find something that would um, replace it. But I keep coming back to the same thing. It's called pencil and paper. Hmm. Tell me more. 
Well, I, got, I have a notebook, and um, uh, every week I hold myself accountable on what I did last week and what I need to do this week, and I set my midterm goals. And in that book, it also has my long-term goals all listed out, everything that I want to achieve. And as I get older, the, lo- the goals get bigger, they get longer, so, um, and they get more elaborate. And so every week I'm just holding myself accountable to those big goals breaking them down into smaller ones that they need to achieve on a week-by-week basis, and that's it. That's it. That's great. It stays off any, staves off any, any, um, any failure that comes my way because it le- allows me to kind of, and by the way, no one reads this thing. It's not a journal. It'll mm-hmm. never be my memoirs. Yep. So I've taken all of the pressure off of myself to actually spell things correctly <laughs> or make it legible um, but the other thing is it's the one place I can be really, really honest about my effort. And I'm, sometimes if I'm really honest about my effort, it's half-ass. Mm. And um, and it just bothers me to call myself out. Typically, mm. I won't do it again. Yeah, there's a great uh, Parks and Rec quote. Yeah. Don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I probably could, because I got a lot of irons in the fire at the moment. Yeah, well, I want to get to that. But before we do, um, speaking of products and services, I want to take a second to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Soreness and pain isn't always the result of activity. This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by OrthoCarolina. Prolonged sitting in a car or at your job aggravates muscles and joints and can cause pain. A standing desk can help. The key to alleviating the discomfort that sitting can cause is changing positions more frequently during the day. Alternating between sitting and standing at your desk, in addition to taking walk breaks and stretching, can work to loosen those tight muscles and joints. The perfect standing desk should be high enough so your computer keyboard is at elbow level and your monitor at face level to avoid neck strain. Before you start standing at your desk, take into consideration any knee or foot injuries and wear flat, comfortable shoes. This has been your 60-second wellness tip, powered by OrthoCarolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. What's the most fun you've ever had failing? Gosh, one time in my music career, showing up to the event, and the entire audience drove in the same car. Aww. Yeah. Was it a big car, I hope? No, Aww. it was three people. <laughs> and uh, uh, it wasn't like a clown car, and they just poured out of it. No, and I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the sound to work. And I had a I had an older guitar, and um, I strummed that thing and hit one of the strings. Um, Broken, it hit and stuck. It stuck in my cheek. Oh, at the same show? Was yeah. that at the no, same? No, the whole thing was just. It was just one disaster right after another. I'll, I'll tell you, you this. Like, you must have looked like steampunk. Yeah, you had like this <laughs> cord coming out of your face. I, I, I tell you, that is a good story. I tell you, all of my failures have a pattern. Remember the whole idea that if you can identify the pattern, you can make it a strategy. Yeah. And I've leveraged this strategy over the last, say, six months to no end. And I even have I even have a way of getting out of it, but all of my failures have the exact same pattern, which is I go in a little cocky and a little arrogant about mm. what I'm getting ready to do. I hadn't checked myself. And I'll I'll call it out recently, my skill pop class. I did the first one and it was good. I did the second one, it, it was phenomenal. And it had a lot to do with the people who were in the audience and they know who they are. The third one was the worst ever. Uh-oh. And I just, because I didn't, I thought, well, that was so good. I am, I am the man. <laughs> I'm doing, I, I got this and I'm going to shut this down. And it sold out. Mm-hmm. So that fed into my ego yep. even more. And so I've noticed that if I don't, and then the other thing is that that attitude that I have of cocky and arrogance um, seems to be amplified when I'm tired. Mm. Yep. So... So 
uh, all of that, and then I add alcohol on it. <laughs> yeah, which is a, such a good combination. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing bad ever happened when that when that was mixed together. So, um, in order to stay out of the cocky, arrogant zone, which uh, I I want to and need to, uh, I always call my wife and I say, "Look, I need help." She's the only one I can talk to about this. I said, "I need help. I'm tired." And I'm punchy and, you know, I'm pissed off. All that kind of goes together. Yeah. And then uh, she'll do her thing. And, sh- and then she says, you need, to, you need to cancel your thing and you need to reschedule this and you just need to come home. Mm-hmm. Or you need to work on your email <laughs> or you need to do this or do something that doesn't have that kind of impact. And that's been one of the greatest things ever, just, just recognizing the fact that I got that pattern and um, God saved me on so many things. I'm I'm getting a little bit better about you know not doing as much one-on-one stuff as I used to do. Mm-hmm. Trying to do maybe smaller groups. Yeah. And of course, I want bigger groups too. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm. I, that was the decision that I made. Should I focus on this? Should I focus on that? Or should I focus on this? And the answer was, I'm going to do it all. Yeah. But except now it's killing you. No, it's not. Oh, I thought you said earlier that you're like yeah it's killing me well it is because i like to say that and it's funny but there's nothing about it that's killing me and one of the things that i talk about that and people someone asked me this i was at wingate gave a speech uh last week and they said how do you do it and the answer is simple i don't have a boat i Mm -hmm. don't play golf you know i don't have hornets tickets i don't have panther tickets and i don't have this or i don't have adele and i don't have a mountain house we don't have a we have nothing that, so I only have the ability to do what I'm doing, and I consider my work more of a hobby. I haven't worked in a long time, and I know that sounds trite, but um, the work that I do is important, I feel like. People tell me that. They pat me on the back. You know, we're a $35 million impact to the city of Charlotte. I believe that that's important. Yeah. And we need to increase that. So that's the kind of work that I'm doing. Oh, I wanted to ask what lessons you teach your entrepreneurial students about failure. Do you yeah. have lesson plans on failure? Is it baked into what your to your classes? How how are you teaching them? And I also want to learn a little bit more about this pattern strategy thing. Oh good. Cuz it's it's I want to unpack that. I, I think th- I might need that. I think it's the new I had a sticker for you that has this cuz I have a, I do a whole speech on how we created our products and it's fraught by failure. <laughs> Everything that I've kind of said today is something I share with my students, you know, about failure being a barometer, a benchmark, and and I and it's just words in a classroom. The way that I really teach it. So we have four trips that we do um, along with the the study that we do in class. And I took them I took them here to Advent mm-hmm. and talk with Kevin. Yep. And then I took them to Kingsman, the, that other company that I'm working with. And then I took them to Avid and I took them to the opening of TechWorks. Cool. And it's, it's, mixing in, it's mixing with those other entrepreneurs in real life situations. And I always have them talk about their struggles. And I, and I preface it when I, ha- when I come out there, I always say, now, when I bring my class, you're going um, to be tempted to talk about, you know, Rainbows and butterflies right, and yeah. unicorns and, and grass Put and Put the flowy. Instagram filter on it. Make it look glossy. Yeah, I love it. That's a great way of saying no it. No wrinkles. No wrinkles. And so I said, don't do that. Don't, and and you, you have got to tell these young people exactly what the way it is. And um, I remember coming here, uh, Kevin shared something about his... his uh, I won't share it on the podcast, but he shared something about his financial philosophy. And one of my students said it changed the way that she looked at her whole college experience. Mm. And that's, to me, that that made it all worthwhile right there because I knew they were getting real education. Right. Yeah. So just mixing with the other entrepreneurs. The, the highest compliment I ever got as a professor was at the, at the end of every semester, and I did this last Friday, I always say, what did you get out of the class? And we go around, and then I say, "Well, what would you improve or add? How can yep. how can I grow from this experience? Mm-hmm. What I can, what I, what can I do better?" They really struggle in that because there's, I think, there's a notion where they don't want to give a professor negative feedback. 
Well, except when it's anonymous on a course eval at the end. Well, they, they, that's that's the people who are mad are the only ones that fill <laughs> <Right>. those out. <laughs> so I don't know if I listen to those too much, <laughs> but um, uh, um, the. The thing about the highest compliment that I ever got was from a student that said, I felt like I had 25 different professors because we had so many different yeah. people that we talked to and so many people that taught that that was the highest compliment I ever got. I want to ask two questions. One, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of missing an opportunity. I'm deathly afraid of missing an opportunity. Um, keeps me freaking up at night. And um, so the problem is... Is that an opportunity, or is that an opportunity, yeah, or is exactly. that an opportunity? And so there's this, there's this whole thing, and no one should feel sorry for me at the sound of my voice. <laughs> I have too many opportunities. Yeah. I don't know what to pick. Yeah, and uh, like my wife said, I've worked really hard to create these problems, mm -hmm. uh, but it's still a thing, you know. And I, I, I do a thing on comparison, and I, I someone told me this about four years ago, and when they told me, and I said, I've never, I've never compared myself ever again to anybody. It's been a very powerful learning lesson, and that is the problem with comparison is that you always compare the worst in you to the best in someone else. Yeah. It's just yeah. not a fair fight. So um, I never try to worry too much outside of myself about those opportunities, but I'm always on the hunt. I really, really believe, so I'm 50, we got that going in yeah. May, and I believe that I've got another billion-dollar company in me somewhere. And I'd like to do two back-to-back. -back. So that kind of drives me. But I'm afraid that I'll miss an opportunity that was mm. just sitting there. That's the biggest fear I got. Yeah. Well, and then if my kids get sick or my wife gets sick. Of course. You know, that's, yeah. those are, but those are fleeting because um, you know, this is not something I can really control. But Right. Yeah. L um. Tell me more about the, what the strategy. Yeah, I want to yeah. tell me about the pattern. The way that um, we created great ideas at Abbott because we had no money was we had to come up with an idea, build the minimum, and give it to a customer, and then it would crash. It always crashed, and they'd say, "There's two or three things that you have to add." We add it, and it continued that that up and down crash pattern, and then it would level out, and the language of the customer changed when it leveled. It went from, what are you, an idiot? I remember one lady, when we first launched years ago, one lady said, it's like five men and a laptop in your mother's basement, and she slams the phone down. And I'm like, we all have laptops. <laughs> and it was a bonus room. And we're in my dad's room. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. So, um, but then their language changed from five men and a laptop in someone's basement to... It would be nice to have. It'd be cool to have. So that's a pattern. That's an example of a pattern. And that pattern takes about 18 months to, to realize this up and downness of a product. Mm -hmm. As an entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs go out of business on the second crash. Now, we would have uh, 30 crashes after that, the, these the up and down zigzags, because, and you're smiling because you're getting ready to get into crash land. <laughs> now, the thing about it is, most entrepreneurs go out on the second crash because they spent too much time trying to perfect the thing before they gave it to their customers. Right, yeah. Now, we didn't use this as a strategy. We didn't know it was a strategy, but I'm passing it on to everyone as wisdom because you're going to have more crashes after that. So my point is get it out as fast as possible. By the way, our most profitable product that we have today at Avid Exchange, which is really profitable, started with a spreadsheet and a telephone, and that's it. And it grew from there to a pretty remarkable piece of software. But that's the minimum, and we got it out to our customers, and we got our feedback off of that. Mm -hmm. So that's an example in the entrepreneurial world that if you can recognize the pattern that you know that you're going to have some crashes, and that you know that you're going to have to pivot, and you know that you're going to have to iterate, my suggestion is get it out of the way as soon as possible. That's a strategy. So the pattern is that you're going to have to pivot and iterate. The strategy is, one, when it happens, don't fall apart. It's just part of the deal. Right, totally normal. Yeah, it is normal. And by yeah. the way, here's the thing. Celebrate it. Because that's the whole point, that if you can recognize the pattern and you can make it a strategy, which is we need to get these iterations out of the way as fast as possible, we need to get these pivots out of the way as fast as possible, here's the great news about it. 
it no longer burdens you. Yeah. You're no longer affected by it. And matter of fact, it can actually get a little bit better because when it no longer affects you, it frees you up. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So one last question. What is the next big thing you're looking forward to failing at? Uh, so uh, recently, I'm glad we brought this up. Recently, uh, I have always wanted to be a uh, professional paid speaker on a circuit, you know, at events and at conferences. So if anyone's listening, <laughs> there I'm, you go. I'm hilarious. <laughs> Um, He's charming and hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I like the cigarette thing. It's really good. Is that a Marks thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what I th- Yes, yeah. it is. So, um, so I'm about ready to step out into that whole world, and I'm so super naive about it. And I've, I'm fortunate that I've surrounded myself with a couple of people that are going to help me navigate the waters. But even with that, I don't even know if, if, if with, with, there's, I'm going to figure out that when I start speaking for a fee, it's going to be completely different than just showing up at the Kiwanis Absolutely. and dropping a couple of jokes mm-hmm. here and there. Yep. And so I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to realizing those failures as it helps me craft my message because I'm still, I'm still very uh, focused on finding that one message that is so motivational that people can't do anything but react to it. And yeah. I'm not there yet. Well, if you want to follow Chris, again, on all the social media platforms, yep. he is the Chris Elmore. Yep. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter, at Podcast. Or if you want to suggest guests, sponsors, or just say hi, our email address is fun at funwithfailure.com. Until next time, go have some fun.